If there was time for recreation, it could be taken in one of the two pubs or at the recreation room. Our grandparents, too, would have felt at home in our world of paraffin lamps and candles, earth closets and chamber pots. Only the most progressive had septic tanks. Dumb wells, the villagers called them, for WCs and baths or, like Mr Cambridge's son, an engine and dynamo to light the house with electricity. For most people, the village was their world, but Ashton was so unimportant to the world outside that it did not even have its own vicar or policeman. They both lived at Beckford, a neighbouring village worthy of a signal box, and where the joint funeral beer was kept. If anyone was a bit above himself, people would say, The ass been a Beckford. The Village Street For generations, the roads were a meeting place in the village, where the water was fetched from the standpipe or pump. People stood and talked. In the early 1920s, there were about three cars in our village, and the only goods traffic not horse-drawn was the DCI, yeast van on its way to Mr Stallard, the baker, and the Brookbond T. Trojan, chain-drive van, going to Mrs Collins' shop. Little did I think that fifty years later I'd be looking both ways twice before crossing the road. In those days I saw a busy road not of motor traffic, but people, animals, to and fro from morning until night. The cows came up from Tunflun, ten furlongs field, in the early light in spring. They followed a hurricane lamp in the dark winter before dawn. Horses walked nose to tail, haltered on the way to the stable and breakfast. On early summer mornings, carters and ploughboys rode their horses side-saddled to the hayfields. The men, breeched, gaitered and hobnail-shod, all left home at 6.45, often carrying with them their lunch in a straw-frail basket, their tea-cans, and the day-labourers their spades, billocks, shuppocks, pitchforks, hose and the simple tackle they required for the day's work. Then later the postman came on his carrier bike from Evesham with the letters. The baker's cart stopped and the baker attached the reins to a hook in the front of his covered cab. Ladies on sit-up-and-beg cycles with dress guards rode to and from the shop, the baker in the post office. I watched with delight as I stood by the pub wall with Frank Davis to see Jasper Hill mount his polished rally bike by scooting along with one foot on the rear hub step until he got up enough speed to vault onto the saddle. To walk the road to school in an ordinary way was unusual. The village boys and girls bowled their hoops made from drill wheels, whipped their tops, leapfrogged or walked on stilts made from the ash coppice. Everyone's hens fetched their grit from the road. Goats were tethered on the grassy banks and outside the houses. Some Saturday mornings, I watched our cows and kept them in bounds as they pulled the fresh green spring grass from the wider strips, the roadside, the hedge. Joe Baker carried his candle lantern to chapel Sunday nights and left it in the porch. He was a great walker and always seemed happy with a wheelbarrow as he went to his allotment during the summer evenings. At half-past five in the evening, 
After a day behind the plough or harrow, when the clay clung to the boots, the men walked home along the village street, scuffing their boots on the road, always carrying something. The frail was now empty of food and drink, but filled with wood chips and spalls from the fallen tree, or occasionally a rabbit for late dinner the next day, caught by a dog or, who knows, a wire snare? I remember Walt Davis, after he had taken a drayload of fruit to market, walking past our house, carrying a log for the fire. The green fields were a good place to be in summer, but even then the hard road to the cottage door and tea time was a happy place. Gardens and Backyards In summertime after tea, everybody was busy in the vegetable garden among the potatoes, the beans and the cabbages. The more ambitious grew onions of enormous size for the local shows.